I just want to start with uh, a general question, and that is, uh, how did each of you uh, just arrive at a passion for the nations? Dr. Aiken, uh, I think something happened in, uh, not too long ago when the Lord really stirred, not that you didn't care about missions, but that just really began to intensify your burden for the nations. Uh, I'll start with you and ask you to share that experience. Tony, there are two things. One, I actually was called into the ministry on a mission trip on an Indian reservation in Sales, Arizona. Mm. And so we had gone from Atlanta, Georgia out to Arizona to do backyard Bible clubs, uh, vacation Bible school and revival services uh, on an Indian reservation. And uh, I just saw the massive lostness of that people group. I can remember going out to seeing a shrine with a uh, totem pole next to Mary. And the syncretism uh, just so permeated. So they're, they're worshiping Mary, they're worshiping their ancestors. But it was on that uh, trip that the Lord called me into the ministry. Then a couple of years ago, Charlotte and I were in uh, Southeast Asia uh, to work among IMB personnel. And I had a bunch of students that were there in our two plus two program. We took them out to eat one night. And as we were taking them over to the Hard Rock Cafe, there's a Hard Rock Cafe in Pattaya, Thailand. They found it, said, we don't want to go eat rice. We want to go eat hamburgers <laughs> and French fries. So we can pull that off. So as we headed over there, as we turned down the road to uh, go to the restaurant, on both sides of the road for almost a half a mile, uh, I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes that were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. You know, I've read about it, but it's another thing to see it. And just to think again of the massive wickedness, evil, and lostness. Not, not, not so much the, the little girls as the, the men that manipulate and exploit them. And, and God just convicted my heart, who can do something about this and who's going to do something about this? And it just hit me right between the eyes. We have the message, the gospel, that can change all of that. And God has called us to get involved on that level with, with, with evil and sin, to be redemptive. And then the question was, well, are we going to? So the Lord really used that to just kind of reorient my whole way of thinking about ministry. And so out of that, we come back here and begin to think, you know, if we're going to be any kind of seminary, we're going to be a great commission seminary that has the nations on our heart and the nations permeating everything we do as a theological institution. If we're not helping promote the Great Commission, then we forfeit our right to exist. Mm -hmm. David, you, you talked uh, in the <coughs> sermon about your meeting with Dr. Rankin over breakfast. Uh, take us back a, a step further. Um, when did uh, this passion for the nations begin to uh, be fostered in your heart? Uh, I, I would point to a couple of different things. One was the college conference that I mentioned. I mean, that was where, for the first time, I mean, I'd been a follower of Christ since I was young, but I, I'd never seen from cover to cover in Scripture God's passion for His glory in all nations. And it was this just kind of life-changing, mind-shaking, this-changes-everything kind of moment. Uh, and then that began to grow, so influences like John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad, that book, um, which basically unpacks that. I would highly recommend for reading for anyone, everyone. Uh, it's just really helpful in fostering and fueling that picture of the word in our hearts. And then I would say there was one particular mission trip uh, that I was on, in, uh, and I just 
seeing poverty like I had never seen before. I was reading Jim Elliott's biography in the shadow of the almighty, which will mess you up. Yes, uh, so I would highly encourage reading that as well. Uh, he likes messing people up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's just, yeah. Um, it's powerful. It was just penetrating. Um, and just, he talked about how, uh, the spirit of Laodicea is on the church in America today. And, um, the dust on our Bible covers and the way we use our money testifies to it. And we, we've got to open our eyes. And uh, so I just remember having another jaw on the ground kind of moment, flying back on the plane from that mission trip, just thinking, all right, my, every, my future, everything's got to change from this point. Like I've got to, I've got to make sure that this, these, what I've seen in the word is uh, being practiced in my life in the world. So, uh, and then that led, and I, I really thought, uh, two, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, I was on a trip in Nepal and the Lord was doing uh, uh, unusual work in my heart that I knew. I mean, at that point I was pastoring a church that I, I love and uh, would have been happy to pastor for the next 40 years, but I could tell he was doing something unusual in my heart. And I started thinking maybe I need to move to uh, Nepal specifically, and so I'm wrestling with that. A lot of times walking on trails to pray and think, and that's what I'm wondering. I start asking the guys who live there, uh, what is it like to live in Nepal, and can I come visit your house? And uh, all the questions that I know Heather's going to ask me when I get back, uh, and, and I did. I got back, and uh, it was funny, man. I got back late on a Friday night, and uh, I hadn't been able to talk to Heather much because we were... Uh, in these mountains, and so she's like eager to hear, and I here I am thinking, how am I going to tell her? Uh, and I'm saying, let's just wait till tomorrow. And she's like, no, I want to know now. Like, what? Tell me about everything. So we're laying there in bed. I'm just kind of scrolling through my journals, sharing all kinds of different things. And like, true story, right about the time when I got to, and I think maybe we need to move to Nepal. I just jet lag. I just fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, my poor wife, like, uh, so there her head is on my shoulder, like tears streaming down her eyes as she's got visions of our family in Kathmandu and I'm snoring over her. And uh, so we wake up the next morning, she's like, I think we need to pick up uh, where we left off because it left off with us in Nepal. And uh, so just wrestling through, what do I need to do? And so again, this is where I, I hope that wrestling is evident in a sense in all of us, like a desire. Um, but it was during that time then uh, not long after that, as I actually was exploring the possibility of Nepal, the Lord ended up leading me into the position that I'm in now. So all that to say, it's just been a, a journey that just deepens every step of the way. Evshin, I know you have a, a bit of a different story, but um, we heard some of it last night yeah. and was remarkable, encouraging. Mm -hmm. I went home to tell my wife all about it. Mm -hmm. um, your, your passion for the nations? Yeah, I, I, I like what David just said at the end there about it's just it's grown and intensified as I've as I followed Christ. But I think for me, obviously a little bit different from the very get go. Uh, you know, when I became a Christian, <laughs> my family uh, are not, and so uh, from the very beginning, I knew people obviously very intimately that I loved, desperately loved, that who did not know Jesus. Um, and so for me, uh, it, it came right at a conversion, honestly, uh, that I had a heart for, you know, my family and all my Iranian friends that I knew that didn't know Jesus. And so, uh, but, but still, I don't think it had clicked completely until uh, I remember a couple of weeks, uh, I've been a Christian for a couple of weeks, and the church I was attending in Houston, a guy came up and said, hey, 
someone had just started college, but someone in our church paid for you to go on our mission trip with our student ministry uh, to San Francisco. And I remember asking, what, what, what's a mission trip? Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, we're, we're going to go and, and tell people about Jesus. And literally I, I went, yeah, we should do that. I mean, like, that's like, that's like it hit me, like, yes, that, you know. And so there I was going door to door on Hate Street in San Francisco uh, telling people about, uh, about Jesus. And so really that, that just kind of continued on and on. And then, I, you know, as I was talking about last night, as I started looking at Scripture, I see God's uh, redeeming a people from among all nations being the theme from, from cover to cover, you know, from coming to Abraham in Genesis 12, as I, as I was sharing, and David mentioned it too, from there all the way to the end to Revelation, that's what he's about. And so, uh, and then one other thing I'll probably say is, is um, being a part of a ministry now where I get to go into the Middle East to train Iranian men and women who've come out of Iran uh, and feel called to the ministry and we train them and they go back into Iran and plant underground churches and seeing those individual lives because some of them, they come to this neighboring country and in the back of their mind, they're, all, they, they're also thinking, maybe this is my doorway to get to the West. Maybe this is my doorway to get to America. Everyone wants, wants to get to America. And so when the light goes on and when we really know they got the gospel is, is when they do something like this. And I've, and I've heard this, I've seen this, where they, where they just look at me and they go, I can't go to America. And some of them are actually, you know, you know they're, they're refugees and they've gotten their visa, they can go to, the, and they go, I, I can't. I've, I can't know what I know and not go back mm-hmm. to Iran. And so they feel the weight of just the stewardship of, having the knowledge of the gospel <laughs> and they say I can't go to America and so that just that wrecks me to think well what am I doing in, in America and do I feel the weight of of the just the stewardship of being given the gospel and so I think seeing that uh, has has fueled in me uh, a passion uh, for, for for the nations yeah you shared some of your testimony last night have you seen other family members in your own family come to know Christ and how did that happen? Um, yeah, I, you know, my, my older sister became a Christian and both of us actually separately and hiding it from each other. And I'll never forget when I first told her, I gotta tell you, I'm actually a Christian. And she goes, so am I. And so we're like <laughs> high-fiving each other. And so uh, uh, my, my older brother, I got to, I got to lead, lead to Christ um, through uh, experiences in my life that I had. And I had some panic attacks in my life, some trauma in my life, it's a long story, but he had them like two years later. Uh, and there was a season where I had to just lean on the Lord. And so he calls me out of the blue. Hey, I remember you used to have panic attacks. Now I have them. He has an autistic, autistic child, a job that's crumbling. And he's like, can you tell me about uh, how you got through it? I mean, like layup, right? So I was like, wow. And so I just start, you know, sharing with him, you know, uh, about the peace that surpasses all understanding that Christ gives us and all that. And so he, uh, he just broke and he goes, I, I need Jesus. And so it was cool that something that was the darkest time in my life, God actually redeemed and used for good, you know. Uh, and then my dad, I'll just say, he's not a Christian. We're still praying for that. He uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, um, two years ago. And I had my, he is 83 years wow. old. And he's in Iran right now, actually. They just left for Iran for three months. But I had my whole church pray. I went down to Houston, and I was preaching at First Baptist Houston at Greg Mott's church. And uh, 15 years of ministry, uh, my dad has never heard me preach. And I actually invited him and thought, man, you know, I'm backstage, and someone comes, war gets back to me. Your dad just walked in. 
and I just broke down. And my message was John 19, it is finished. And so I'm preaching what was finished. What did Christ accomplish through the cross? And there's my dad. Uh, and so that was amazing. And then that led to a two-hour conversation uh, where I laid out the gospel for him. And the best I could get from him was I said, Dad, just promise me that even if you're on your deathbed, uh, you'll at least consider what I've shared. And he said, I'll consider it. So that to me was huge. But yeah. David, let's pivot to the IMB. I don't want to assume everybody here knows what the IMB here, uh, is. Uh, we've heard a lot about it. Uh, and just tell us uh, what you guys do and maybe any appeal to these students. Yeah, uh, I'd love to. So IMB is uh, International Mission Board, basically represents uh, about 40,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, helping facilitate those churches getting the gospel specifically to unreached peoples. So there's a lot of things that can be done in the world. We're zeroed in on proclaiming Christ where he's not been heard. And so we help fuel short-term, mid-term, long-term sending from churches, people who are going in a variety of different capacities uh, all over the world. So, uh, and so we partner with churches to empower missionary teams who are making disciples and multiplying churches among the unreached for the glory of God. And uh, so we have specifically, so just to apply it to this room, uh, all kinds of opportunities, short-term and mid-term, as well as long-term, uh, for people to get in the pipeline and go. And so the, uh, the booth uh, in the exhibit hall, I mean, there are people there who would love to connect with practical things. We even got, uh, I mean, everything from Here's an avenue for a short-term trip, or here's, uh, we've got semester programs, take a semester and go somewhere. We've got summer programs, take a summer, a year. We've got a two-year program called Journeyman. People can, can walk through. Um, so there's avenues on all those levels. And then there's even in the context of different degrees, opportunities for internships where you can actually get credit, uh, depending on schools, how it works. But we, we try to set it up to to fit in with accreditation issues in, in different schools, but uh, um, to where you can get credit for an internship overseas. So using your gifts and skills as uh, opportunity platforms for uh, gospel work among unreached peoples. And so that's, that's what drives us, fuels us. Um, and my hope is in the days to come, we'll be opening up all the more pathways for uh, yeah, limitless people to leverage the opportunities God's given us for the spread of the gospel among the unreached. And Tony, we partner with the IMB in almost all of those uh, programs where they can get credit uh, while they're earning their degree here, either on the college level or the seminary level. So we love the partnership that we have. And as the IMB uh, brings out new things, we do our best to complement that because we see uh, the seminary as not only a servant to the churches, but we also see our calling as a servant to the North American Mission Board and in particular to the International Mission Board. Mm -hmm. That's great. Dr. Reagan, I'd like for you to make an appeal um, to men. I know uh, you have a good bit to say about the, the, the lack of men on the mission field, particularly some of our journeymen. <coughs> a word you might want to offer today? Yeah, and I want to try to be not too hard, but it's difficult <laughs> not to be too hard uh, because men uh, really uh, have been derelict in this area. A couple of years ago, uh, as I was going around, back over a number of years, it just kind of became very obvious to me there was a real disproportion of women on the mission field and men on the mission field. Mm. And so I called the IMB and said, I'm just curious, uh, what's the breakdown of male-female? And, and they said, well, that's kind of hard to answer. We're so big. And I said, okay, take the journeyman program. You're a college student, 
just two years on the field, not five, not ten, just two. And uh, what's the breakdown there? And so they called me back a couple of days later and said, well, we've got that data for you. And I still remember this as long as I live. They said, we have 331 journey girls on the mission field and 126 journey men on the mission field, which is two and a half times more ladies than guys. Well, then I got a phone call from a vice president IMB. I thought I was getting called to get fussed at and, and, you know, my hand slapped for snooping around. He said, I understand you've been asking questions about our male-female ratio. And I said, well, yeah, I did. And um, he said, well, let me tell you about West Africa. He said, West Africa is the most, one of the most difficult regions in the world for us to get personnel into. It's very poor. It's very hot, arid very radical Islam in a lot of those places. But in recent years, God's been very kind, and he has begun to raise up journeymen, in particular, that are willing to go to West Africa. And he says, as of today, this was a couple of years ago, so I want to be where the, maybe things have changed. I hope they have. But he said, as of today, we have 50 journeymen serving in West Africa, 48 females and two males. And I just have to be honest, Tony, it just brought me under mammoth conviction uh, for the male gender. I just began to ask myself the question, what are we doing over here that would cause, and I praise God, I thank God for our courageous, brave sisters. Mm -hmm. But where are the men? Mm -hmm. And here's the deal, brothers. A woman cannot witness to a Muslim man. It is not allowed. So by our not going, we're condemning millions and millions of Muslim men to hell without even an access to a witness. And so I just began to urge men, look, I'm a huge sports fan, but you know what? It doesn't really matter who wins the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter one whit who won the national championship this year in the light of the value of a soul. And that we've got our priorities so screwed up and our values so messed up. And it's time for men to really step up, play the man, and be what God created us to be, what God redeemed us to be, and what God is calling us to be. We need real men, masculine males that are willing to go to the hard places and do what God has equipped them and indeed will give them the grace to do. And so, yes, I want to put the, the challenge before men. There's a great opportunity. Are we going to step up to the plate? I, I hope that we will. And I do see more courage mm-hmm. in this younger generation than I did in my own. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they uh, set the pace in a way that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Can I add one thing to that? Because, uh, I mean, this is still a huge need. And as I've processed through what, what are all the factors that are contributing to that, uh, I'm confident one of the biggest factors contributing to that is pornography among men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the statistics we see in the church are just, it's, it's baffling. Uh, or just overwhelming. How it's many, pandemic. How many college males, how many men in the church, followers of Christ, who are just engrossed in pornography and and so there are so many reasons to flee sexual immorality he's commanded us to it's for our good we're destroying minds and hearts whenever we sin but particularly in that sin and 
defaming the glory of God and people made in His image. Um, but we're also disqualifying ourselves from being a part of the greatest mission on the planet. And the adversary right now is using that to keep men from being the mission force that God has designed them to be. And so I would just, in a fresh way, urge this group of brothers and sisters, I don't think that that is just exclusive to men, um, but while we're talking about men specifically, to encourage this group flee sexual immorality for your own sake, for the sake of others, and ultimately for the sake of the glory of Christ among the nations. That's good, David. That's a good word. Um, with, with men in mind, but not limited to men, uh, David, you talked about different pathways to get on the mission field from uh, the lumberjack to uh, yeah, the, uh, the horse person. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if these students here um, were, were thinking, and I, and I hope they are thinking, how can I use, how can I leverage my vocation for the good of the nations? Um, and, and they're very pliable. Uh, what degrees? Do you have any, any fields of, of work that would be um, very useful uh, as, a, as a platform, as a means by which they can get into some of these hard-to-reach places? Uh, that's a great question. So I think the good thing is, so I'm going to mention a couple of types of fields, more specific things, but I don't want, if you're not in one of those fields, to think, okay, well, I'm not, so sure. the doors aren't open for me. I mean, no. I'm not about to mention horse betting, <laughs> but it's there. And, uh, and there's just so many unique things, so many yeah. unique things. So, uh, I, I mean, even we're, we're doing some work right now in some very rural jungle-like, rural locations, jungle-like locations. I mean, and I, I, I've got some of our personnel saying, hey, help mobilize. We don't just need like uh, your suit and tie guys. Like we need Duck Dynasty type guys <laughs> on the field. So go recruit some Duck Dynasty type people. Like so, East Tennessee, right? Yeah, so yeah, there you go. So anyway, there's just unique needs all over the place. But I... If you're like, all right, well, I'm wide open for when I'm looking at a degree, what do I do? What might open doors? Here's what I would encourage. Um, what we find is when it, when it comes to like routes for people to work in, thinking about jobs that one, are available overseas and two, that are relational overseas so that open opportunities for interaction with people in another culture and a community. So, uh, so accounting is going to be maybe less relational in that sense. So again, there's accounting opportunities, but, but less relational than teaching. So teaching, education type degrees, I mean, those, those opportunities are all over the place, and they get you face-to-face -face with a lot of people where you're interacting with. Teaching, medicine would be another example, like the nursing uh, yeah. uh, Sports. Is picture. Sports, Sports is another yeah. example. So, so yeah, like right now, we've got people who are... Uh, uh, using CrossFit as a platform in different places, physical training as a platform in different places, and that just gets you in people's lives. Yeah. So think more relationally. But even, I, so I, I, I say that, but then don't discount some of the other. Like I was just in uh, North Africa, and uh, there's a, a brother there who's serving with the IMB, and uh, this guy, he, he started, uh, he, he went over there with like gifts as an artist, and, but he found out he really couldn't use that well as a platform in this particular country because of some, some different factors. And so what he did is he started buying rugs. He started buying North African rugs, uh, just kind of old rugs that were made in these villages. And then he, so he'd buy a rug for like 50 bucks 
um, equivalent of about $50, and then he'd pay uh, about $50 for to get it repaired and cleaned up, and then so about $100 in rug, and then he'll put it online, and he'll sell it to people in New York lofts for like $1,600. And so, I mean, that's rugs for the glory of God among the nations. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just... And, robbing people in New York lofts for the glory of God among the nations. So uh, anyway, so the, but the, that's there. And, and, and now think about this. Okay, rugs. But ru what it does is it opens doors for him to go into um, to villages all across this country where he's out in North Africa and meet people who are making these rugs. He'll take his wife with him and they'll minister to this family in their home and they'll take it to these people who are going to fix it and they're building relationships there. And it makes sense that he's there. So that, that's the other thing. I mean, otherwise, he's living in this North African country, and people are like, why, why are you here? Why, uh, you know, I live here. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, so imagine this. Yeah. Imagine your neighborhood, uh, uh, a Muslim family moves in next door, and you never see him go to work, and, and you say, what are you doing here? We just live in here. Right. You start getting suspicious. Exactly. Right? And I mean, for some wrong reasons, as Abshin <laughs> yeah, was yeah. pointing out last night. But it, I mean, you think about hard places to reach in the world. So this Christian comes in and starts living there. And it's like, why are you here? Well, I just kind of live here. I mean, they're going to be totally suspicious. But when it's like, yeah, I'm making tons of money off rugs. Uh, and obviously making money is not the point. It's, it's what you do with the money. But the whole picture is these open up avenues. Yeah. So think through, uh, okay, what gifts, what skills do I have? What desires do I have? Opportunity to study and in, 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 in particularly in ways that are going to open up relational avenues. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, let me, I, I love that. And what we try to tell our people uh, at Providence is, look, um, you'll get to places that, that I will never get to, that we elders will never get to. And if we're all called into you know, full-time vocational ministry, uh, we're limiting ourselves. But we're all called, you know, as David said, to be on, on mission. Uh, and so your, your career is just your entry into the world to fulfill that. So we, we, like, if you're a Christian doctor, we'd say, look, we, we want all of us to think, oh, you're a Christian ambassador for Christ. Your disguise in this world is as a doctor. You know, how does that change the way you live? Or, or your entry into the world is as a doctor. So being a doctor isn't just the means by which you put food on the table for your family. But being a doctor is, is again, your area that maybe I'm not going to get to where you can be on, on mission. And so uh, a classic example of this for me is uh, Greg Mott, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he and I are buddies. He used to lead uh, Breakaway at A&M, which is a big giant college ministry. Um, and he said that one of his former students called him years later and this guy is now like a serious, like the Jack Bauer secret, you know, covert ops guy, you know, uh, CIA guy. And so he calls him and he goes, hey, Greg, can you get me Bibles in Arabic? And Greg's like, yeah, I think so, why? And he goes, well, you know what I do for a living? And Greg's like, yeah, I know what you do for a living. And he goes, well, it just kind of dawned on me the other day, man, I go to the Middle East all the time, and obviously I don't go through airport security. We get dropped in. And so it just dawned on me, wait a minute, I could get Bibles in there easily. So <laughs> if you could just get me a Bible. And so, and so Greg thought, man, there's no way I'm going to get a bag full of Bibles and go through that airport. They're going to stop me. But I'm so thankful this guy saw his calling first as an ambassador, as a missionary, and his, his career was just his entry into a 
world that no one else could get into. And so I guess, um, you know, that's kind of crazy covert ops, but as David is saying. So, so the yeah, U.S. Yeah. government is doing Bible drops exactly. for the glory of God. Exactly. Praise yeah. God. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Any means well, possible. Well, that's it. the beauty, like, when you start putting all this together, like, you realize, I mean, the nations will actually fund the spread of the gospel of the nations unknowingly. Yeah. If we'll wisely think about our lives, if we'll just change our total perspective like, exactly. on this, then we realize God's sovereign over all things. He's orchestrating all things. Let's, let's surrender to him and say, what are you, how, how can I fit into all you're doing in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe on this subject or a, a different subject related to missions, books that you guys would recommend, resources. So just some next steps for the students. They're getting stirred up. What, would you, what kind of homework would you, would you give them? Well, I'll piggyback on what David said. Missionary biographies have just revolutionized my life, and I've even written on it, but I'm not going to push my book. I will push the book uh, that David mentioned, uh, Under the Shadow of the Almighty, which is the story of Jim Elliott. Uh, my life was changed by Across the Golden Shore, which is the story of Adoniram and Ann Judson. Of course, there are two other Mrs. Judsons because two of his wives died on the mission field, and about half a a dozen children died on the mission field. He goes to Burma, Myanmar, like Kerry went to India, both of them seven years before they had a single convert. Uh, But today there are millions of Christians in India because of Kerry, and there's close to 750,000 Baptist believers in Myanmar because of Judson. And so, and they went through incredible hardship, but at the same time, God did incredible things through their faithfulness. And you read these biographies and you find out they're just regular, ordinary people like us with shortcomings and problems and issues, but they were faithful to God and God honored their faithfulness. So I would really urge missionary biographies as a great way to to minister to your soul and also to help you capture a vision for what you could be a part of in terms of reaching the nations. And just again, those two titles? Uh, the book, uh, To the Golden Shore, which is the story of Judson, and Under the Shadow of the Almighty, which Elizabeth Elliot wrote, the story of she and Jim Elliot. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I would echo what David said, let the nations be glad is one for me that's yes. just been revolutionary. And I will push your book, uh, Dr. Aiken, because actually I came here to preach at chapel and you gave me that book, uh, and I read it. And uh, I think it's a great book because it's just ten, is it 10? Uh, there's 10 missionaries and they're short biographies. So uh, if you want to, if you're saying, man, I don't know where to start, that's a great first book just to get a good overview of these 10 lives. Uh, and it, it will wreck you. And then maybe as you read those, one of them is going to stick out. And then you can go get a, a more in-depth biography. But so I, that's why I like that about that is uh, I, I'd recommend it because there are 10 short biographies of mission. And I think mm-hmm. it'll, it'll stir your heart for sure. Yeah, I would see the 10 men and raise you the five men book. Uh, first as well. He's got five. I don't know if you got, you've seen the smaller. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Okay, no. Yeah, five, five missionary biographies. We took a group of men on a mission trip, their first trip, and I had them all read that. Okay. We would go through it every morning, awesome. and uh, it's very helpful. Yeah. Just, just, what's it called? Five men who changed the world? Five who changed the world, and then ten who changed the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would obviously echo those, and uh, I, would, I would add, so on a more just really practical level, um, 
a couple, uh, there's one called Cross-Cultural Servanthood that's just, it helps you think through when you're crossing cultures for the spread of the gospel, things you need to be aware of to not do stupid things in crossing cultures. And so we, we just, we don't realize we have a context and other people have a context and the way we act, they're interpreting through their lens and we're interpreting through our lens. And so, I mean, just simple things like when you're in India and they're bobbing their head like that, it looks like a no, but that actually means yes. yes. Like that's pretty important. Uh, yeah. right. Would you like to trust in Christ? And they're actually saying yes, and you're like, why not? And they're like, so anyway, so that would be, uh, uh, so it's just simple things like that that you just wouldn't necessarily know. So you got the greatest heart in the world and know the word, but you need to know what no and yes means. So those kind of things. And then uh, another one along those lines, when helping hurts. Uh, is, a, is a good, helpful book and thing because we can try with well-intentioned motives to go and help the poor and do this or that, but if we're not careful, we can actually, the, the subtitle of the book is How to Help Others Without Hurting Yourself and Them in the Process. Like the, the whole point is there are ways we've got to think through wise ways to help and, uh, and to serve others in other contexts. So there's just a couple of... Uh, just really practical ones that would be helpful. It's good. It's good. Uh, Dr. Aiken, I'll throw this one to you. When David was sharing the story earlier, I was thinking about my own journey um, when Dr. Rankin came to uh, seminary to preach uh, President IMB three days in a row. <clears throat> I wanted to go on the mission field so badly. Um, I wore an African shirt all week, and I sat in the front row, and I, 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 I said, this is the week that I'm going to get the call and, and go overseas. And I, I really, really wanted to go overseas. And I was disappointed, you know, at the end of the week and, and later um, came to, to, to realize that the Lord has, has put me in the local church and, and now, by God's grace, here as well to mobilize uh, people for mission. And I still in, internally have this desire to, to move overseas and, and, to, and to, to be an international missionary, but I, I feel as though this is... The, the calling I have is to equip and mobilize to go when I can and so on. Um, your reaction to some of that and, and your, your appeal to some who are going to be pastors perhaps in this room or watching online or later, uh, we got a lot of money being spent in a variety of ways in local churches, uh, massive buildings and all sorts of things. Um, what would be your appeal to pastors related to mobilizing their congregation for mission? I love what David said this morning. Praying fervently, giving sacrificially, and then going wherever it is God has you, but with a willingness to go elsewhere if he calls you in that regard. I think pastors have got to learn to let go of their people uh, so that they can actually... Uh, do what pastors are called to do, which is equip others to do the work of ministry. Uh, I've always said, and, and I will challenge pastors, good pastors work themselves out of a job. <laughs> so if they drop dead tomorrow, the church that they have shepherded will be just fine because they've so equipped and discipled well the people in their church that the work just carries on whether they are there or not. So that would be the one, one thing I would say to them. Secondly, I would say being missional is intentional. And so they need to begin to develop a strategy for reaching the nations that God has brought to our doorstep. They need to be intentional in reaching the nations. So adopting a people group, uh, setting up 
short-term trips, mid-term trips. As David said, I believe last night, one of the greatest, or I've heard him say before, one of the greatest avenues for getting career missionaries are through short-term mission endeavors. And so I would say this, start uh, close and start easy, but then move on up the ladder to where you're doing longer trips, harder trips. You start the way that I mentioned, you at least start with a really positive experience. And that then, well, all right, I've seen it here and it worked really well, but I know there are other places where it's not. Okay, you move into that, longer, harder, uh, more resistant to the gospel. And God begins then to do something in your people. I know this, people that have been on the international mission field seldom cause trouble in church. So get your troublemakers, get them a passport, put their butt on a plane, send them to the nations, and if they do come back, they'll probably be better for it. Yeah. Amen. And maybe they won't. That'd be great. Maybe they'll stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly who we want on the field. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Let's stay on the topic of of the church. Uh, David, do these students need to to be members of a church? Can they do mission better uh, apart from the church through parachurch? uh, What what is the relationship between the church and the nations? We're talking about the nations this week. So one of my greatest regrets from my time in college was a lack of meaningful membership in a local church. If if you were to ask me what is my greatest regrets from college, I think that would be it. So I was involved in the campus ministry. I was doing all kinds of different things, and I am so thankful for all those things. But I was not plugged into a local church with a, uh, yeah, with a body of Christ, multiplicity of ages, gifts, skills that I'm serving and I'm being served by. And uh, so I would... I would highly exhort if there's not meaningful membership, I'm not just talking your name on a roll somewhere, but meaningful membership in a local church to make that a priority this semester immediately. Um, And to anybody, like this is where, when I speak at a conference like this and I say, uh, I'm hesitant to say um, to anybody at a conference like this, okay, let's stand if you believe the Lord is calling you to to move overseas as a missionary. I would be hesitant to do that in a room like this. And instead, what I would, I would say is that I would say, if you are sensing that, that desire in you, and if, if, like, if there's a physical involvement, it, it, physical movement to be, stand if you would say, I'm gonna go to the leaders of my church and share this with them and begin a process of discernment alongside them to know if the Lord is leading me to do this. Mm-hmm. And the reason I emphasize that is because this is not just an individual decision. This is a church decision, biblically. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter 13, mm-hmm. yeah. the Spirit said to the church at Antioch, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And so it's a process that should be walked through with the church. And the church laid hands on them and sent them out because they saw the Spirit was doing this. And so even in the church I pastor, we wouldn't have, uh, all right, stand up if you're going. Uh, long-term overseas, we would say, stand up if you are sensing the Lord saying you, he might be leading you in this way and you want to have conversations with the church about that. And so you walk alongside that with the church. And the church helps you see, well, I mean, in many cases, I mean, there'll be people who come to me as a pastor and be like, okay, I believe the Lord's leading me to go overseas. And be like, okay, or let's, let's begin walking through this journey. And you start walking the journey and then you realize they're not even making disciples right here. It's like, well, 
Okay, yeah. like I, I, I want to affirm this desire in you. At the same time, you're not going to become a disciple maker on the plane. Like, there's no transformation by aviation. It's not the way this works. Like <laughs> we're going to make disciples here. And, yeah. and, and so let's help you walk through that journey. And then they come, they say, I, I, I've got a real heart for this area. It's like, okay, uh, well, let's, let's discern. Let's walk through that together. Let's pray through that together. Do you know about this area? And we, we begin to walk through. So I, I would just say, I, I think it's non-negotiable yeah. for uh, somebody, and this is the way we approach things in, uh, as the IMB. I mean, anybody who's coming to the IMB uh, at this point has got to be affirmed by a church who's saying, we see evidence of God's grace in this brother or sister sending them out. And so without that, uh, we would not, as the IMB, be a part of sending you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, I was going to mention Acts 13 also. That's what we, we say is, look, you're not going to discover your gifts and your calling in isolation. Uh, they're discovered in community. The brother that brought me from the airport uh, here, um, Thomas, uh, I was talking to him about it. I mean, I just said, look, at the end of the day, uh, y- your, your, uh, your gifts are going to be affirmed by the body around you. That's what happened for me. Uh, and so um, I, I, I 100% uh, would, would echo that and say you've got to be uh, in the local church. And, and um, you know, for us, uh, what we try to do at Providence is, is our strategy is to be, uh, we always say we want to be incarnational and not attractional. Uh, so I love what you said to work myself out of a church, uh, out of a pastorate, out of a job. Uh, I, I believe that, that it shouldn't be about, hey, bring your lost friends to come listen to me tell them about the gospel. That's attractional. Incarnational is what you were mentioning, Ephesians 4, which is I am called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they would go out. And so that's our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by making disciples uh, through the gospel in community and on mission. And so everyone in our church knows that, that we're about making disciples. And that's not just Afshin and the elders. That's every one of us is, is, is doing that. And so to work yourself out of a job, it's like what Paul said in First Thessalonians. He's saying that the gospel came to you in such a way that the word of the Lord is sounding forth from you so that we need not say anything. So again, back to what you were saying in Romans, the reason he's saying that I've accomplished the work of preaching the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum is because, not because every single soul has been reached, but because he has raised up churches and leaders and disciple makers so that he no longer needs to be there in that region. And so that is our goal is uh, to equip them to go out and, and, and to do it. So I'm, I'm answering kind of both those questions. Let's stay on that for just a second. Specifically, what is your church doing to reach internationals as you train, equip, and send out? What are some of the things Yeah, it's incredible. Internationals are, are in where I'm at in Frisco, North Dallas, is just unbelievable how they're flooding in from India primarily, but uh, man, in the Middle East, uh, you know, where I'm from, uh, it's just incredible. And so we have a few things going on. Uh, one is we, we've identified a couple of apartment complexes that there's a lot of internationals there. And so we do have a team that meets on Tuesdays. They pray. They go actually door to door and just build in relationships with those folks. Uh, the goal, obviously, is to, is to reach them with, with the gospel. But, uh, you know, we always say the, the way that people respond the way you respond when they reject the gospel, God can even use that. And so they just keep their friendship there. Hey, you know, and, and so, yeah, you know, when you love Muslims 
at first they're going to be like, what are you trying to get from me? Because their whole mindset is, I have to do things so that God will bless me. And so if you're doing something, you're trying to get something from me. You know what I mean? When they see that you're not trying to get something from them, you're just really loving them, their question will change from what do you, what do you want to, man, what do you have that I need? And so that's what our people are doing. But like I said, I mean, we have internationals coming so much that, it's, that honestly, it's not even now a kind of a unique strategy just for internationals because it's just for anyone. And everybody in our church has internationals on their street. So for me, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to, uh, you know, you are equipped to be a, an ambassador. And so you are to pray for them, you are to love them, and then you are to share. And so, uh, you know, some people are so scared to pray, uh, to share, excuse me. So I go, well, can you pray for them? Yeah, I can do that. Can you love them? Yeah. And so I just say, well, just start there. Sometimes we never even do those things because we're scared of well, what am I going to say? What if I don't have the answers? Well, just start there. And then some of the best thing you can do is just go up to an international and say, how can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any international is going to get offended by that. How can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. You want to get to know what they believe. You want to get to know what they're struggling with, how you can meet their needs. Just start with that question. So, mm-hmm. have, you, have you guys seen um, <clears throat> the Lord bless hospitality, just inviting people in, into homes? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a, um, you know, I'm thinking of this lady who came, and we have community groups, and that their goal is to be missional. And so one, they, they did a um, uh, garage sale. And a lady came to this garage sale and just kind of overheard that they actually get together every, every week. And so uh, asked questions about it. Of course, they invited her. Um, that lady has come to faith in Christ now through that community group, and she was in need uh, of a car. And so that community group pulled together and bought this lady a car. Uh, not, nothing fancy, but a car. You know what I mean? And so we're seeing, and, we're, and by the way, in our church, we're sharing those stories. And that's one thing we want to do is as we share those stories, uh, people start to see the vision. And that's why we want our, our, our folks to go to short-term trips. Uh, nothing will get your walk with God ramped up, I think, than you going on mission. Uh, it's amazing how when you're on mission, you, start, you stop worrying about the little things that you always worry about, and you start thinking about God, yes. you know? And so when they go on the mission field, when, when they hear stories of community groups buying a car, um, it's amazing how... God is, is, is using those stories to infuse that in our people, yeah. That's great, that's great. David, uh, you talked about uh, supporting missionaries by praying for them and, and uh, giving and so on. Oh, I'm sure some in this room have, uh, out of their church, long-term missionaries overseas. Um, how can we support and care for our missionaries who are, who are overseas? I'm so glad you asked that because this, this is huge. Many times when people end up going, moving overseas, they unfortunately in the church here become out of sight, out of mind, and in ways that are, are not good for that church and not good for those missionaries. And so uh, I would encourage anybody who knows people who've gone overseas and moved overseas to uh, be very, and, and from your church or even from other churches that you know, you have a relationship with them, be very intentional in Pauline type Hey, I just want to encourage you in praying for you. How can I be praying for you? And here's what I'm doing in sending things through them. And the, the, the people we're closest to, just our closest friends overseas, and we'll send gift packages to uh, just little things. I mean, when you're overseas and you're tired of eating rice and, I mean, some 
I don't know, everybody's got their own deals. I mean, one, one person likes gummy bears, so it's like, okay, just send them some gummy bears. Like, I mean, it's gummy bears to the glory of God. I mean, it's just simple things like that that can go a long way. It's a picture of, hey, somebody's thinking about me, somebody cares for me, somebody's with me in this, behind me. Like, I feel, f- yeah, and, I, and, there's, and that's something IMB or any mission organization can't do. I mean, we want to support brothers and sisters, but it's something that local church can uniquely do. I was talking with one of our uh, guys in the field the other day that was uh, telling me that his teenage son gets an email from the pastor of their church every two weeks, just encouraging him, telling him he's praying for him. And I just thought, ah, what that means for that teenage son to realize that, you know, in the days when he's struggling, why am I here? I look on Facebook and I see all my friends doing this or that. Why am I? For a pastor to be just speaking into his life truth and encouragement, that's something that IMB, I mean, I can't send that email in the same way that people who know those brothers and sisters do. And then to look for opportunities to go and visit them, serve alongside them. Hey, can I come alongside you? Is there anything I can do? I could bring a group to do that can help fuel your work there. And in the process of working alongside them, you have opportunity to minister to them and serve them as well. Yeah, and in our church, we have, so we just sent a missionary family to Belakashir, Turkey, which is on northwest Turkey where a lot of refugees are coming to. And so we, what we want to do is when we send a full-time missionary that we have an advocacy team within our church. And for us, it's the community group that that family came out of. And so that's why we want our people to be involved in community. And so that community group has become their advocacy team. And every other community group in our church is jealous of them because they are the ones that, now all the church can can obviously be involved, but they are the ones that primarily are keeping up with the winds, asking questions about, you know, what can we pray for? And and so... um, they're the ones that are sending care packages. And so then additionally, what we want to do is we want to start sending short-term trips over there. So we got a trip going to Athens this summer. And the two leads of that trip, we're actually going to go over to do kind of an exploratory work with them in, in Belakashir. So eventually, we'll have a short-term <laughs> trip to come and support those folks. Uh, so that's, what, that's the way we do it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So Dave, just for the record, you're against goldfish in the children's ministry, but gummy bears for the nations is, is that, acceptable. That if anybody doesn't take anything else away from this weekend, I hope they take that away. That I'm against goldfish for kids. How do you guys respond? I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, you know I am. Um, are we playing ball later? Are we playing ball? Yeah. What? I'm sorry, guys. It's personal conversation. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, how do you guys respond to... Um, people who say that's all you ever talk about is the great commission um as all the well now you're an imb guy so you pretty much have to it's it's acceptable <laughs> but when you're in the church i, I imagine and i imagine you as well have seen talking about missional living and so forth yeah. how do you respond to that kind of criticism because i'm sure we're going to turn a bunch of students loose and they're that's all they're going to be talking about and uh they're going to start getting heat and uh i guess they could blame it on on you I mean, everybody else blames everything on you pretty that's much good. and russell moore and so what but how, how do you guys respond to that kind of criticism I'll just say this, I uh, remind people that last words are meant to be lasting words. And Jesus could have said a lot of things before he ascended back into heaven. But the last thing he said was, go and make disciples of all the nations. That must be very, very, very important to him. And therefore, it should be very important to us. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, we, we preach verse by verse, and, and it's, it's really difficult because we went through John, then we 
it's the whole thing is so that you may believe. Then we went through Acts. <laughs> I mean, talk about every week was beyond mission, beyond mission, beyond mission. And then we walked through Romans. And as you said, it's, it's essentially a missionary support letter. And so for me, it's almost like as I'm preaching through the Bible, I'm like, look, if you just look at the Bible, it's the, it's the entirety of the message is this is what we're about. And the Romans 16 passage that uh, Dave was preaching out of, it goes on actually to say, talk about just beware of people that want to divide the church. You know, they're only thinking about themselves. And so I think going back to what I said earlier, um, when we constantly are thinking mission, it's amazing how the little stupid things that we debate about, that we divide over, kind of go away. And we say, who cares at the end of the day on whether you're correct on, uh, you know, your eschatology or me? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is, are we all doing what Christ has called us to do? And so that's probably what I would say is, is look, if I'm in the Bible, I can't avoid uh, the Great Commission. So. I would say, like, so if somebody says, well, you're getting, you're, all you're talking about is the nations, or you're getting too passionate about the nations. I, one, just be encouraged. Uh, one, that some people are hearing that. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and let, let me assure us, we're not in the church here no. too passionate about yeah. the glory of God among the nations. There's 2.8 billion people mm-hmm. who have little to no access to the gospel. We've we got a long way to go to be too passionate about mm-hmm. getting the gospel to yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, be, uh, be challenged. So let that be, bring about reflection in your own life to say, okay, it's my passion for the nations. If, if we're not careful, we do want to make sure that passion for the nations uh, doesn't bypass passion for neighbors right around us. And so, uh, I mean, if we're talking all the time about the nations, we, we are quiet with the gospel with the people right around us, then that's probably a check that, that's needed in our hearts, um, in our own hearts. And then also in other people's hearts, many times they're kind of resisting that, maybe because of some conviction in their own life. Uh, and so use that as an opportunity to say, well, why do, you, why do you think that? What's going on in, in your life? And just Use that as an opportunity to think through how can I encourage this brother or sister where they are. When people in the church, uh, in the church I pastor would come up to me and say, hey, I think we're talking about the nations too much. Oftentimes, most oftentimes, that was a reflection of something they're struggling with or in an area where they're not feeling cared for. And so there's, there's ministry to do there. And I think about my own life, like, and we've talked about our journeys, like none of us overnight got a passion for God's glory among the nations. That was a process, and it's going to be a process for other people. I, I mean, just because you do a killer Bible study on it, everybody's not clicking now and, and, and going to the nations. Like, it's going to be a process. And so just as the Lord has been patient with you in that process, show the Lord's patience with others Amen. in that process. Like I can say one thing real quick. Especially, you know, the, having a heart for the nations when it comes to of course, in my context, I'm thinking about Middle Easterners, especially at a time, I wanted to say this last night, I didn't get to it, especially at a time when they're expecting us to ostracize them. Hmm. When you love them, uh, it's going to blow them away. And so I think the nations, and, and, and you, you can't talk about it enough right now uh, in this season. Uh, for me, again, it was a time when I was expecting everyone to hate me. Had anyone else given me the Bible, I would have thrown it away. But since it came from the one lady who loved me at a time when I was expecting them to ostracize me. So, man, I think it should never go out the door the, the, talking about the nations. But again, especially in this season that we're in. Yeah. Last question. Um, softball political election. Um, I'm out. <laughs> how, I'm done. Time to leave. 
Is this on? This is not an endorsement. No, no endorsements, no partisan politics here, but just how, how, can, how should these students be thinking about the election? And even within the light of our theme, as we've heard, Jesus is sovereign over all things. Uh, how, how should we, should we be concerned about this? How should we, what should we do? And how should we be thinking about it? Well, I think good uh, followers of Jesus are involved in the political election process. So all of you that are here that are of age, which would probably be most all of you, you need to be registered to vote and you need to vote. And you need to vote in every election that you can and you should vote your convictions, which I would pray will line up with biblical uh, and theological convictions. And so allow those convictions to guide your decision-making when it comes to who you elect. And then recognize that we should be praying right now for our elected officials on all levels. And whoever wins uh, the elections uh, next year, we should pray for them as well, that God will grant them wisdom and discernment and uh, that they will lead us well. I believe that's what Romans 13 and also 1 Peter admonishes us to do. But vote your convictions and pray that your convictions line up with Scripture and uh, be wise, discerning, ask a lot of questions. Do not allow yourself to get swept along by a tide of popularity that if you will just stop and take a good look, you'd be embarrassed to be a part of. I lived at that. That's a good answer. Do you Did want to improve I, on that? No, that's, that's what I would say. Ditto. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what he said. What he said. I won't presume to like add wisdom to that. I would, I would just echo in a sense that for followers of Christ in a representative government like ours, passivity in politics is not an option, I don't believe. And by that I mean we, we have a God-given responsibility for the leaders who are elected and the laws they create like that. We won't stand before God one day and say, I didn't have a part in that process. He's given us a part in that process. And so that's what I mean, passivity. We've got to, to, to use the stewardship that God's given us. And I, I think the other thing that comes to my mind in this whole issue is just there has been in my own life a passivity. Um, and take abortion, for example. For most of my life as a Christian and most of my ministry as a pastor, I just looked at that as a political issue that I didn't need to talk about, that I needed to address, and that was shameful passivity for which I have had to repent. Like, that is not primarily a political issue. That is a biblical issue. Yeah. Psalm 139 makes that a, far before it's a women's issue or a children's issue, that is a God issue. He's creating in the womb. And uh, there's no room for political neutrality on an issue like that um, yeah. when you believe this Bible. So I, I say that just as one example, and I don't mean to single out that issue because there are other issues. So we've got to think through the biblical ramifications of political issues and biblical foundations behind those political issues, and then to leverage the influence, whether it's just for the vote or in, yeah, an activity in this representative government that we have to, to work for the, the good according to how God has defined the good, which is the whole purpose, Romans 13, of government. It's established for the people's good, so uh, by God for the people's good.
And we, First Timothy 2, pray for leaders toward that end. Yeah. And so we've got to make sure that's a part of our, our praying as well. I, I lied. I will add one thing. I think uh, also just with that is, is, first of all, know what we believe, know what you believe, and be aware of what of the candidates. But I would also just add that, uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, necessarily, I'd love for the, the president to be a Christian, but uh, if he's not a Christian, doesn't disqualify him from being my president, you know. But I, I would say that character for me would matter. Yes. And I think that we need to, we need to, do our due diligence of not just seeing what this guy is saying, but how this guy has lived his life. And, and, and it, does this guy represent the kind of character I want in the White House? And I think, I think you got to look at that too. So. That's a good word. That's a good word. Let's thank our panelists, guys. Really good. A lot of wisdom.